Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is a crowd podcast. Been out here for five hours <laughs> for $20. That swing looks like he's trying to catch bees. I know you're seven balusters, but you're not effing Paul Daniels. What's he doing? <laughs> and he just dumped the bag and walked off. Wow. Thank God for that. Like, what a golf shot. It was a shot of the season. Stop showing off, beef. And there was just me and him, and I said, Tag, I'm going to tell you something now. Minimum a one Fair play for being out there for seven hours. I'm Andrew Beef Johnston. And I'm John Robbins. Welcome to Beef's Golf Club. Yes, John. How are we doing today, mate? I'm good, man. How are you? All good. We have had, well, we've broken a milestone. We've got now over 2,000 members of Beef's Golf Club. Uh, that's over 1,000 on Twitter, 1,000 on Instagram. Folks, this is the fastest growing membership of a golf club in the world. And we're not going to cap it. There's going to be no waiting list. You've just got to follow us at Beef's Golf Club on Twitter and Insta, and you're in the gang. Everyone is welcome. We're really um, excited by all the new members. Did you see Jill? The other day, Beef, the, the new member, Jill. No, I haven't seen Jill. Who's Jill? Jill, absolute darling. She's, um, I think she's about about 80, picked up a golf club for the first time in her life. Wow. Out on the range, she's got potential, I'll tell you this. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you keep an eye on her, though? Did you keep an eye? She was on the range. Did she have 50 golf balls or not? She started off with 25. I said, Jill, you got a beautiful neutral swing path. You just just go with the field, just try and hit it as hard as you can. She was belting out 300-yard drives. It was just a beautiful thing to see. <laughs> uh, we've also had some correspondence, mate. This is from Roland Pierce. And I think this speaks to Jill's experience as well. Roland says, not sure why I'm listening to this podcast. I don't play golf or watch golf. I'm not even sure if I like golf. Well, Roland, you're more than welcome here, despite you gaining very little from this. Um Roland goes on, quite often I see a golf course and think I'd love to try it, but then I think I don't have any clubs or shoes or a polo shirt, so I probably can't play. Unless I go in and ask if I can play and borrow the necessaries, which seems a bit of a blag. So what I would like to see is a sign that says, you don't need anything, 
just a certain amount of pounds and you're away. Come and give it a go. It would encourage people and take away all the anxiety of not knowing much about it. Just an idea, regards Roland. So I guess my question is, Beef, what do we have for the absolute super beginner with no clothes? Well, obviously clothed. Roland's not turning up nude, expecting to play. But what facilities do we have at Beef's Golf Club for your absolute? Like Jill, you never hold a golf clubber. Well, we've got probably the biggest pro shop man's ever seen mm. with 25 people working there. 25? Wow. Yeah, 25. It's huge. We've already got over 2,000 members. We're packed out. We might have to up it to 50 soon. You could have a third course, which is for people who've never played before. However, I actually think that might put people off because they won't know what they're doing. They won't understand how to do it. So what we need is just sort of -of state-of-the-art track man facilities. We need a pitch and putt. We do need, I think we need a pitch and putt. Yeah, I think think a nice pitch and putt. Or like you see at some places, you've got like the really forward tees. So we could could put some really forward tees out, make the whole short on the mince course. And everyone knows the mince course is quite relaxing. And there's not much pressure there. It's more for beginners, so that's a nice way to guide them in. We can have someone go around, take them around, show them what's what, and let them spend time on the mince course for a bit. I'm going to say, I think the mince course, I don't think you're going to be able to have sort of like playing lessons. Well, maybe playing lessons. Hear me out, right? Because I think even people who want to just try the mince, who are maybe off, I don't know, 30 or 40 handicap, even they're going to want to go around in a certain amount of time. Are we looking at the offal? <laughs> the offal. I was thinking the Ville pitch and putt because it's the baby course. Yeah, it's not a hugely ethical name. Um, <laughs> what about the Rasher? <laughs> the short rib course? The short rib course. There we go. <laughs> so it's like a sort of mixture of a par three and a pitch and putt. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So the holes are sort of 60 to 120 yards. You know, you you wanted to make things clear when when we built the clubhouse. So I think Mm. the short rib, you know, is going to be a short golf course. It says it in the name. I reckon it's nine holes. Yeah, nine holes. I don't think there's many. There's not many long holes. Yeah, so we've got a nine hole course and it's now being built before my very eyes. The diggers are already here. So... Roland, when you come to Beef's Golf Club, we're going to lend you clubs. And also, there's no dress code other than have a look in the mirror, mate. So you're more than welcome to go on the short rib course and me and Beef will pop down, uh, see how you're doing. We've also had some more rules come in uh, to the inbox from our listeners. You can get in touch, beef at crowdnetwork.co.uk. And this is going for the Wall of Commandments. And just a reminder, on the wall so far, we've had... Have a little look in the mirror, mate, is the dress policy, and we do reserve the right to bring out a mirror. There's a yellow and red card system for golf anecdotes. Uh, So if someone starts talking about their round, you're initially interested. If they're going hole by hole, you hold up your yellow card. If they then talk about how their fade disappeared on the eighth, so they had to rely on uh, using their hybrid off the tee, then it's a straight red. Phones are only allowed for golf purposes and emergencies. No tracking your bloody cryptocurrency on the round. And there is a limit to 50 balls on the driving range for amateurs. And um, 
Big Tom Davis will come out and say you've had enough, mate. <laughs> so, what are we what are we looking at adding today? What's your first uh, listener suggestion, Beef? No creepy pictures of captains. Is this a sort of fashion I'm not familiar with? Have you not seen so at my home golf course? Yeah, in one of the bars around the top top of the doors, about that height. There's all pictures of the old captains, and then there's one that goes in like the middle of the bar with like a little light, which is like basically the inn captain and um yeah they're suggesting that no creepy pictures of captains do you know what i might i think might be a bit more inclusive is to celebrate the worst round of the year so every year if you shoot like 130 if you just have a complete meltdown but you complete every hole you get your your face on the wall of fame because <laughs> You tried and you completed it and you didn't walk off the course. And I wonder if that's maybe a more reassuring thing to have. And it's not like a wall of shame. We're sort of celebrating the determination to hole out every hole when you've shot 130 or whatever. I think that's really nice as well because it is. It's a step saying, look, we're going to have a little laugh at you. You shot 130, but fair play for holding out and putting out on every hole. And um, fair play for being out there for seven hours. It's the determination celebration war. <laughs> so have you not seen many clubhouses where all the captains are lined up from 1930s to, to now? I think you need to recalibrate where I play most of my golf um, because I'm not a member of the elite. I know what you mean, though. I've been to the places where you get that quite imposing wall of, let's face it, old white guys. <laughs> it's the old, the old white guy exhibition and they're all called uh, Bob or they're all called Tony Richard a few Grahams knocking around and it's a bit like saying if you want to get if you want to get to the top of the pile you better be an old white guy because that's that's and, the, oh, and there's some pictures of the ladies, but we sort of hide them away. I think they're out back next to the bins. <laughs> yeah, they're all in, they're all in like cupboards and storage and things like that. Yeah, places you, get, you cannot find them. So I actually agree with this rule. I think an end to halls upon halls of pictures of old white guys in their tie and blazers. Yeah, get rid. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you, that's. I think that's a good enough argument for it not to go ahead. So that's that's added to the list of commandments, no creepy pictures of captains. But I think we need to replace the pictures because it's nice to have some of the sort of faces. I think maybe just like if someone does something really exceptional, they get their photo up. So like when I played at my club and I marked the card of a guy who scored 54 points, whack him up there. If you get someone who eagled a par four, the long par four or whatever, whack it up there so like little celebrating nice moments from around the year and that includes you know someone who plays in the monthly medal and they they hold out every hole and they came back with 127 which is my highest ever score 127 the next time i go to the oxfordshire i've got a score to settle <laughs> oh my god and you hold out you finished every hole finished every hole mate <laughs> Oh, that is brilliant. Well, before we discuss this week's addition to Beef's Golf Club, we're going to be talking caddies. We're going to be talking to a caddy. 
we have uh, two little bits of business. Um, what are we looking at blue tick wise with Wahlberg? Has he checked your WhatsApp message yet? So you said um, last time you give it a few weeks and months and it'd be blue ticked and it's even worse. Well, it's blue ticked already. Ah, and can you just swipe left to see when the blue ticks appeared, when Wahlberg read the message and, I hate to say it, decided to ignore it? So about 21 hours after I'd sent it. Wahlberg has had the ball in his court for some time. Do you message again? I don't think you do message again. I think we've got to wait a little bit longer to see whether, with the ball in his court, Wahlberg has chucked the ball away, <laughs> popped it in his pocket, or is planning how best to return it. The outside chance is that Wahlberg is so excited by the message that he's taking a month to compose his reply. I can't see how you'd be excited just saying, hey, mate, how have you been? I can't see how you're going to have that much excitement. And then I'm thinking, do you send another message with a bit more detail explaining about Beef's Clubhouse and the golf club and what we're doing? And is that going to excite him enough? Because if that doesn't, then I'm completely uh, toast. Well, I, I wonder if the flaw was in the original wording and that it's a little bit too vague. And we needed to have more of a sort of press release to MW. <laughs> Mark, I've set up a, a dream golf course, a, a dream clubhouse. I'm kitting it out. We'd love you to be there. Hit me. Hit me up. Whereas it sounds a little bit like you are flirting with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> and I would imagine he gets quite a few messages saying, hey, how you doing? Hey, I had a dream about you last night. Does it sound more like a drunk text? It sounds a little bit like you've said, hey, Mark, it's just been thinking about you. you had the weirdest dream about you last night. <laughs> so the, the ultimate opening gambit in the DMs. Oh, it's come off really awful. We should have discussed this before I messaged, I think. Well, maybe, can we, can we perhaps get into more um, positive territory by asking, have you got any free golf balls yet? Well, I know you've got a lot, but we're trying to we're trying to get me some free golf balls. I've got a supply coming in. I'm not exactly what they are, but they're going to be something pretty special. Are we staring down the barrel of a Dunlop situation? It could be anything. Hmm. You know, like a bit out of um. I know a guy that knows a guy who gets them off the back of a van. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like that situation. Like those refurbished Pro V1s where if you look really closely, you can see Slazenger under the paint. <laughs> yeah, it's either going to be that or a big box of lake balls, something like that. We should do that. Our balls should say Pro V1. And when you look really closely, you can see like Max Fly. <laughs> <laughs> Though apparently one of the new Max Fly balls is really good and one of the new Kirklands, but I think you're going to get them in America. Anyway, that's a chat for a different day. Because today we're talking about caddies. Now, I've never played with a caddy before. I've never played at a golf course that has caddies, I don't think. What, how do you get a caddy? <laughs> and are we having them at Beef's Golf Club? Yeah, I think so. I think if people want to have a caddy and have an experience and be told if they're new, they might have played the fillet course once. They never played the mince course. Might want to know. 
Mince calls there's a lot of blind tee shots on there. They might want to know their way around the mince. There's a lot of blind tee shots on the mince. A lot of G-U-R. <laughs> In fact, the majority of the mince course is actually G-U-R. Boggy, isn't it? Hell of a lot of standing water. <laughs> really bad drainage. And remarkably, even though it's got terrible drainage, the, the greens are also really underwatered. So th- there's a lot of water on the course, but it's all in the wrong place. Whereas <laughs> the fillet course is like top 10 golf courses in the world. But the mints, all the tee boxes are sort of wonky. You cannot get a flat lie on the tee. It's a dream for someone who's played a lot of public courses because they'll know. That's the sort of thing pros don't have that skill of knowing how to play off a wonky tee box. Do you think that evens it out then? So if you took me on round the mints off scratch, you'd fancy yeah. your chances round the mints, not the fillet course. Yeah, because I know how to play out of mud. And I just don't think you'll know how to play out of mud. You need a caddy. What would you expect from a caddy? If you were going to have one for the day, what would what would you expect? Uh, a lot of sighing. <laughs> a lot of sort of holding their head in their hands. Um, like the odd sort of muttered... Who is this guy? What is that? That swing looks like he's trying to catch bees. <laughs> um, I would probably expect them to sort of say, okay, so say we're on the first tee, I'd expect them to say, look, it's out of bounds uh, all along that left side. The miss is to the right. Obviously, you want to try and get it in the centre, but don't go. you don't want to go too long because then you'll be in between clubs. And then I just kind of duff it. And they go, and they recalibrate their expectations for the next four hours of their life. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, I think that's a fair point. So in terms of telling you where to go, do you want them handing them your clubs? I know golf clubs where they can get fined the caddies if they get caught with a player taking the golf club out of their bag and the caddy not taking it out and giving it to them. Oh, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't want there to be any kind of that tension would you want him reading your parts? That is something I would really, really like. However, we did have, uh, we've had some correspondence on caddy requirements. And Chris Scarrett says, I don't know about you, Beef, but caddies have started to have too much say. Looking over putts, lining up, etc. Just give them the distances and let the player make the decisions. Carry your snacks by all means, but stop slowing the game down. Do you think at the pro level, the relationship between caddies and players has become like essentially having two people playing around a golf, so it's taking too long. No, no. I think caddies play a big part. They really do. They play a big part, and I think a lot more than what you see on television, anything like that. And I think when you start looking a bit deeper into it, it's not about just having someone carrying your clubs or reading your putts. A good caddy is someone who can read the player, understand when they're about to throw the toys out and lose it, I think that's one of the biggest part. I know us pros always, always close to a full on meltdown, which they need to uh, be able to handle quite well. And it's just understanding player, what preferences they like, how far they like to hit in. And someone who generally tells the truth and doesn't just keep saying yes at things. You know, my caddy will come off and he'll tell me, oh, beef, your wedges were awful today. And it's like, okay, wow, let's go work on it. Rather than having someone just go, yeah, they were good. That was good. That was good. Well played. That was good. You don't need that type of character. 
from my understanding, there's like three main types of caddies. You've got players who have the same caddy every tournament. Some players might choose a caddy from the course who knows the course sort of inside out. And there seems to be like a recent thing of like family members or, you know, partners caddying for you, where I guess that's more of a like a psychological thing, having a friend there to distract you and make you laugh. How common are each of those caddies? Do most professionals just have their caddy and that's it? Yeah, I would say it's sort of oh, 90% would have a caddy every week, same caddy every week. And then, yeah, a few people have either friends, family on the bag. And that sometimes can be through transitioning from one caddy to another as well. So uh, mostly people got caddies. Mostly everyone does. And it's, they, they do, they play a bigger role than people think. And it's their, it's decisions. One that sticks out in my head was last year at Wentworth on par three, 14th hole. And I was in between clubs and I didn't know whether to hit seven iron or an eight iron. And my caddy stepped in and he said, he said to me, Beef, if you hit that eight iron like you did on another hole, he's like, you've got to hit a big high draw to get it there. But he goes, that's the club. And I stood up and I hit a good shot to to six foot and knocked it in for a two, where if I hit a seven iron, I'm at the back of the green and I've got a really difficult two part. And all of a sudden there, we've gone from three potential four to making two. Wow. Who's that golfer that got into a bit of controversy because he had a caddy from the club? I think his, either his caddy pulled out or his caddy was ill and then he didn't pay the caddy the going rate because he like won. And I think he paid it, wanted to pay him like four or 5% and there was a bit of a hoo-ha about, because he would usually, is it 10% you pay your caddy of your winnings? It was uh, Matt Kucha. Yeah. It was Matt Kucha in Mexico where he picked up a local caddy. I, I don't know yeah, what happened with his original caddy. And then they agreed a fee on how much it was for the week, whatever, say it was $1,000 or whatever it was. And then I think they didn't agree like a percentage, if I'm correct. I'm going to find this out. And then basically he gave him like five grand. Yeah. But he'd won, I think like 1.2 million. So oh, it should be like a hundred. Come on! It should have been like a hundred odd grand. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find the facts out on that. Okay, this is from Golf Week. Matt Kucha concedes he made a mistake last year when he didn't reward David Giral Ortiz, his fill-in caddy, during his victory at the Mayakoba Golf Classic, with a fitting tip for a job well done. He paid his caddy five thousand dollars. From $1.296 million in prize money. That is absolutely outrageous. He then increased it to $50,000. And he says he regrets both actions. Oh, man. I've, well, I've never paid a caddy. I've never had any winnings. So I've never had this kind of problem. You've always got to tip your caddies, though. That's a big, like, etiquette thing, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think I've seen it both sides where the caddies got really angry if someone hasn't tipped well enough, especially in America. And it can sometimes be awkward. Yeah, it can be really awkward on an 18. And 
you know, everyone shakes hands, whatever, and then he goes over and he gives his caddies a, I don't know, $20. And he kind of looks at him and like, I've been out here for five hours mm. <laughs> for $20. So people don't get into the situation. What would you say is the going rate to tip a caddy on a nice course where they've given you like really good service? What are we looking at? I think minimum 100 quid. Whoa, that's a lot I think of money. minimum 100 quid, yeah. Minimum a one I think so. <laughs> I'm guessing like part of being a caddy is being a bit of a firewall when someone loses their temper and they it comes out at the caddy. Have you seen or even yourself people sort of overstep the mark a bit? Or, or is that just part of something caddies accept? Like I'm going to get shouted at for stuff that's not my fault. One of the best ones I've seen was at Sun City. It's a tough golf course. And we finished par three. And I think, yeah, I think it was sixth or seventh hole. And I walked back. You got a little walk to the next tee. And I remember walking up on the tee. And as I turned around to look down the hole, I could see the caddy walking down the hole. What's he doing like that? And he just dumped the bag and walked off. Wow. Did you know the person he was playing with yeah 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 i was in the group i'm not i'm not gonna say who it was but i looked and i was like what happens now when luckily that player had someone following him in the crowd that he come out and then started to caddy for him beef we're gonna have to have a little bit of a chat about your discretion because this is great goss what would be the consequence of expanding a little bit maybe dropping a a, a hint about who it might have been <laughs> i'm not i'm not giving it away no i think I think that's what I'll say on it because I don't want to embarrass anyone. But if they listen and become a member of uh, the golf club, don't know who it is. <laughs> but I'm yeah. not going to say any more. They weren't happy. The other, the other funny one I've seen was at the Pebble Beach Pro Am, and we got up at Monterey Peninsula, and we got on this tee box, and straight away I've looked at the tee. I'm thinking, all right, this is a forward tee here. Anyway, I'm working my yardages out and the player's gone and he's hit this shot and it's just fizzed it straight at the flag stick and he's eyeing it out, poses all there. And next thing it just keeps going and it goes about 30 yards over the green in these bushes and he looks at his caddy and then they just start having a massive argument because the caddy hasn't realised it's the forward tee and it's 30 yards uh, shorter oh, than it actually was. man. <laughs> Yeah. And you're not allowed rangefinders, are you, on tour? Or are you? Did they start doing PGA Tour? I think they mm -hmm. might. There was discussion about it. I'm not too sure. Okay, so final question. My dream job is probably to be a test match special commentator, just going around the world watching test cricket and getting drunk with Phil Tufnell every night. My second dream job is to be a golf caddy, going around all the most beautiful courses in the world, getting drunk with you every night can anyone apply to be one because some players don't necessarily want completely like analytical knowing every blade of grass some do some people want just kind of a hungover comedian to cheer them up probably yeah i reckon we yes. could we could um fix you up with a bag there's no school i'm very good at the mental side of the game i'm very good at like chilling people out putting things in perspective getting people out of a funk not so good on the old putt reading. 
Are you? You're not the most excitable character, which I'd say is a good trait. Mm-hmm. Pretty level-headed. Yeah. Won't get excited if they reel off five or six birdies in a row. No, if anything, that'll anger me. <laughs> Stop showing off, beef. Come on. <laughs> no showboating. You'd be good on the rules, I think, as well. Oh, a bit hit and miss on the rules, to be honest. I thought you'd be saying you would enjoy. I, th- I mean, for example, I thought for the last like year that if you hit your ball with a practice swing, you got to replace it, but that's only on the tee or the green. I didn't even know that. And I still can't get my head around sand on the green when you're allowed to clear it or not. Yeah, that's a confusing one. I still get confused with that. So I can still be a caddy and perhaps live my dream job. I'm not going to be able to get on Test Match Special. Um, I don't have any of the relevant qualifications. But we're very excited here at Beef's Golf Club because we are about to welcome a new member. And we're going to speak to him about this very topic. We have got the legendary Billy Foster. He's not just any caddy. This guy has caddied for Westwood when he was world number one. He's caddied for Darren Clark. He's uh, caddied for Seve, Ballesteros as well, and even Tiger Woods. And currently on the bag for Matt Fitzpatrick at the moment. So you're talking a guy with some serious experience. Right, let's get him on. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Guys, I'm so excited to welcome one of the best caddies out there. <laughs> Billy Foster. How are you, mate? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad at all. No, I'm a little bit jet lagged. Just got back from America last night. So, yeah. I felt better, but sort of like numbed the flight with a few Heineken's and a couple of gin and tonics and slept like a baby. <laughs> oh, this is why I want to be a caddy. Listen, I've been on a 40-year stag do. I'm wearing quite well as I've done that. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> you, won, you won the US Open, mate. I didn't. I just happened to be best seat in the house watching England's best player at the minute to go about his business. Uh, yeah, it was uh, an incredible Sunday. Uh, to it, 17 out of 18 greens on a golf course as difficult as that under the most ultimate pressure was uh, a very special day. And uh, the one thing I'll take from it was that um, the way we worked together that day was up there were arguably the best that we've, we've worked together in the three or four years we've been together. So uh, that's what winning golf toms is all about. It's not about it. And the glory shot, as he did on the 18th all out the bunker, probably shot of the season, but just limiting your mistakes and just not making mistakes on a, under the ultimate pressure and amazing. And, uh, you know, he could have won it by three or four. He actually uh, missed three or four puts that day from 
three or four foot, which is not like fits, as you well know. So it was a great day. We were talking about that bunker shot in the last episode, and Beef said it was the best bunker shot out of all the great ones we were discussing. Could you give us a bit of a, like, from the tee to the actual shot taking place, what the <laughs> chat was like between you? Well, listen, it was an issue all week because on the Monday we got there, you know, and I always walked the golf course before and I've made my, my opinion about the last hole. And we got to the tee and I gave him his options. I said, well, you know, personally I see it 280 to 290 yards off the tee to the elbow of the dog leg, which was the widest part of the fairway. Uh, and on your left, you know, like 160 second shot, uh, or oh, you could drive a bit. You couldn't carry the bunkers on the right. And if you did, it was knee length here. So obviously, if you're going to miss it, if you hit straight down the middle, as the, the hole turned the corner, you're going to run out in the rough with the driver. So you had to hit the perfect tee shot with the driver. And I said to Fitz, what are you saying? He says, I like driver because, you know, he feels oh, driver's the best club in his bag. I said, well, I'm liking three wood. And, and he played the hole. And as we got to the green, I said, right, Let's walk back to the tee and it's six tee shots. It's three drivers and three three woods. And I stood in the fairway. He went back to the tee at three drivers and three three woods. And it was a bit mixed. You could have still argued the point which one you fancied. And um, what do you fancy? He says, I still like driver. I said, all right. I said, let's get this straight. When we stand on this tee on Thursday, I don't want any of this hindsight golf bollocks. Like, oh, we should have done this. We should have done that. Why did we do this? Why did we do that? I said, you want to stand on there with a clear vision this is what I want to do, and this is what I'm doing. Right, okay. We're hitting driver then. Okay. So, of course, we play the golf tournament. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's driver. Makes one par and two bogeys because it's two in the right-hand rough. So, obviously, on Sunday, now it's it's the most intense pressure. You know you're going to have to make a ballsy decision here. And on the 17th green, he had like a 12-footer for a two-shot lead, and it was a fast point, and he just literally dribbled it to the hole. And I just started laughing at him. And he, says, and he starts laughing at me. What are you laughing at? I says, well, I said, well, at least you didn't knock it five foot past again, you clumsy little twat. Like, you know, so <laughs> so we started laughing at that walk into the 18th. And I thought, you're not going to be laughing long here when I say it's a three wood. Like, so we stand to the tee and he's like reaching for the driver. I said, Matt, it's a three wood. It's just a three wood and a nine iron. Just get on the widest bit of the fairway. That's all you've got to do. And, of course, he rope hooked it in the bunk, and I'm thinking, why don't you keep your mouth shut, you clumsy sod, you know. But but fair play to him. We walked 40 yards off the tee, and he turned to me and went, Billy, it was the right club. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I can think of some other golfers that have been chewing me up and spitting me out, like, you know, Seve Garcia, Darren Clark, whoever, Bjorn or whatever, that have been getting a spade out and throwing me six foot under the soil and stamping on me, like, you know. But he turned around and went, Billy, it was the right play. I thought it was a bit of a classy move for him, but obviously when we got to fought the way through the crowd to see where the ball was, my heart sank because all I could see was the ball behind this, you know, middle of the island. You know, it's like, oh my God, here we go yet again. But the nearer I got there, it was just a little bit to the left, so he could just about get it on the left edge of the green. And I did something I'd never done in 40 years of carrying. I actually plumb-bobbed the island in front of us to find out a foot to the left and picked out something at the back of the green. I said, if you can hit on that tree with the floodlight on, which was like three yards inside the left edge of the green. I said, if you hit on that and just hit a hard cut, you, this bank is not in play. Like, you know, and, and Fitz played so quickly. I was walking away and I turned around, the ball was in the air already. But it was just, as the ball were in the air, I was like, 
oh, you effing beauty. Like, you know, I just knew it was perfect. And then you just get the the crowds cheering and reactions. It's like, thank God for that. Like, what a goal shot. It was a shot of the season, no doubt about it. That's exactly what I was saying about, like, strong caddies and making a decision under that under that pressure where all the great caddies will just turn around and say, no, it's that. And you've got to make that decision and clear that decision in the player's head sometimes. That is, that's the difference between good caddies that will take that on and then accept it. I just want to ask about the relationship between a caddy and a player. And like when you often see players end a relationship with a caddy. No, I've had a few of them. <laughs> their, their game goes away a bit. What What is it that causes caddies and players to sort of part ways? And then how do you go about getting a new player? Yeah, listen, it's like anything. It's like a player and a caddy are on tour together seven days a week, 30 weeks a year. It's You see more of your player than you do your wife. So it is, it's a marriage as such, you know, and, and you're in a high-pressure situation. Things don't go well. You don't play well all the time. You get in situations where... You disagree on a golf course, so you start falling out and you get stale of you know, the same wife or whatever it is. You know, you, you get stale in certain situations. I need I need to freshen this up. I need a change. I need to trade him in and get somebody else. And, you know, and a bit of freshness. It's amazing how many times it happens that a guy takes a week off and a standing caddy comes in for the week or a caddy gets sacked. The player always seems to win the next week. So there is something about a freshness and different uh, seems to work so many times. It, it's there's got to be something in it that um, yeah. I'm, listen, I've uh, you know worked for Westy for ten years and um, had a great ten years. I got to world number one, won some fantastic golf tournaments, and um, you just knew, and he knew it was time for a change. It was stale, and there was no falling out. We, we're still good mates, and I shook his hand and we moved on. What well, I'm the next week, he wins Sun City. He hadn't won a tournament for a couple of years or whatever it was and he wins Sun City with his girlfriend on the bag you know yeah it's, it happens all the time definitely Bill one of the, one of the things that always interests me and obviously I've had situations where I've thrown the toys out <laughs> and lost the plot completely what do you do when someone throws the toys out of the prep well it depends how severe the toys have been thrown around I mean listen I've worked for some psychos in my time as you well know uh, and they're all different levels of psychopaths let's face it and you have to judge it by that moment. You have to judge that situation. Sometimes you just know, no, this is a proper head off here. I just need to give him a minute, give him 30 seconds, let him calm down, and then try and move him with a few words of wisdom. Sometimes you must. Do, you might decide, you know, I've had enough of this guy. Do me head I'll just keep quiet and let him get on with it. He can sulk all he wants. I don't give a toss. Other times, I'll just laugh at him. You know, and other times, you just, um, you fight fire with fire and, Start shouting back at him. I've done that before and I've been sacked for doing that before. No more so than the great Seve Ballester. They said the biggest shouting match outside the clubhouse at Augusta and I won doing handstands. But but I got sacked for it because I was being honest and telling him what I really thought. And I've always done that through my whole career, good, bad or ugly. Clint Eastwood movies. But I've always moved on and always been lucky enough to get a, another decent job. So... But you have to be, I think, number one, you have to be honest out there. To be a, a successful partnership, you have to ruffle up a few feathers at times and say, look, whoever I'm working for, that's not good enough. We need to go to the range. Your wedges are not good enough. Your bunker player's not good enough. Whatever it is, come on, let's go to the range and work on it because guess what? You're not going to achieve what you want to achieve. There's no point in sugarcoating. Oh, yeah, it's all right. It's quite nice. And you know, it's rubbish. 
you just got to tell them straight, man, it ain't good enough. Come on, let's go and work on it and just be yeah, honest I, and so, get better results. Billy, I've always wanted to ask, because I've never had a caddy. I'm just a 15 handicapper who plays at a public course, right? A bit like me. If you were caddying for an average sort of 18 handicapper and you've got a course guide, you've not walked the course, you don't know all the greens, how many shots do you think you could save them? And what would be your sort of three main ways that you would do that? Well, you know, over the course of if you work for them on quite a a number of occasions, you you could probably save them a handful of shots around. Basically, just by not thinking you're Bubba Watson or not thinking you're, you know, Sergio Garcia or whoever it is. You know, you've got to... You've got to know your limitations of your own game. And what's the point in trying 250 yards over water on a par five when you know that you might pull off one in 50 goals? No, just hit a, an eight-hand down the fairway and sandwich it across and you get a birdie chance. You, you know, you're going to make a par at the worst, but you go for the glory shot and make an eight or a nine. Happens all the time. So you've got to know, mm. manage your own game. I think one of the big things I always found caddies, they've got to have a good poker face, Bill. <laughs> there, there must be times right, where you, you've looked and you've looked at a ball or you looked at a lion and your player and he's gone, I'm going to do this. And you're thinking, what do I say here? What What do I say? Some, sometimes I just laugh at them. <laughs> you're having a laugh at it. It's no bit out here. Like, what are you doing? But mate, I tried to do that with Seve behind that wall in Switzerland and look what happened. I, I nearly deprived the world seeing the best golf in the best golf shot in the history of the game because I told him four times to chip it out sideways. I know you're seven balusters, but you're not effing Paul Daniels. Just chip it out with you. Why I listen to you? you why you put doubt in my mind, you son of my bitch? I show you I have this shot there, and the rest is history. But <laughs> at times, you, you just have to try and do the right thing and just say, no, just, just get out of here, take your medicine, and move on. The worst you're going to make is a five. But you know, you go for the stupid shot and you make a seven or an eight. It happens all the time. But poker faces, I mean, the one thing I did years ago, I can't believe I did it. I'd never do it now, but I, I don't know. I've been carrying for Seve for, I think I went in my fourth year or whatever, and um, he's playing St. Melian, which is a really tight golf course, you know, and for Seve the slasher that's all over the place, you know I mean? like, And he's got a two-shot lead playing the last over Nick Faldo and, and Gary O. So... Um, he stood in the middle of the last fairway. I'll never forget it. He had 184 metres, which is roughly 202 yards or something like that. And it was a front front left pin over the water. And all he's got to do is make a bogey and he wins the tournament. Faldo's already in the clubhouse. 184 metres. And, and I just knew it were like right on his limit for the big five iron. You know, because it was a bit of a damp day or whatever. And it's front. I know he's going to attack it. He's not going to hit it right and three-point it and win because that's not the way Seve played. He'll like, I'm going to attack it. And I just thought, hey, this is a rip five iron here. I know what he's going to do. And if he misses any of it, it's in the water, we'll lose the tournament. So he had 184 metres. Really, how far we have? I said he got 190 metres, mate. Oh, OK, yeah. You like the four iron? And I said, yeah, it's just a smooth four iron, mate. You know, and, <laughs> and he hit the four iron. <laughs> Unbelievably, it finished about six yard past the flag about 15, 18 feet behind the hole. So if I'd give him the right yardage, he might have hauled it. But I actually give him six yards more. So it took the five iron out of the equation, four iron, back half of the green, you win the tournament. And as it landed on the green, I just nudged him and went, I gave the wrong yardage there on purpose. <laughs> he didn't see, he did not see the funny side of it. Oh, let me, ha ha, you smart alec, you son of my bitch. Why are you listening to you? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. That is gold. <laughs> 
That is. As I said, yeah, sometimes poker face, that is gold. And when you caddied for Tiger, was that a sort of a very different experience to every other golfer? Was he that that much of a level above or or was he just like playing with sort of any any elite golfer? No, it's not any elite golfer, is it? It's uh it's again that's another level above the best level. Um, you know, because it's going back two thousand five. Uh yeah, it's the only guy I've ever carried for in my life that had that massive order around him. You know, you could just tell it were different. And I actually said to Tiger that you're the first guy that I've ever worked for since every ballast series that there's this order around you. And we walked through the crowd going to the first tee and it was 10 deep and they're screaming, screaming, screaming. He's got pen marks all over him. I've walked ahead because my eardrums are bursting like, you know. And we got to the sanctuary of the first tee and there was just me and him. And I said, Tiger, I'm going to tell you something now. He says, what's that, Billy? And I said, well, you might be the best player that ever plays this game. You might be a billionaire, but I'm telling you, I won't swap your lives. And I think that's why I got his attention right there. And then he looked at me and thanks for that, Billy. You know, because he, he can't do anything. He can't go in a restaurant and have a quiet meal without 100 people coming up for a selfie or autograph the napkins or anything while he's chewing into his steak. It's, it's a tough life. Tough life he's got. Yeah, even tougher now, you know, and it was... We play with him at the Open, you know, and I give him an emotional lug on this. They were incredibly emotional walking up that 36 hole at the Open Championship. But, um, but to see Tiger suffering like that and playing the way he was, it's, it's not the Tiger that I, I remember, you know. So it was sad to watch. But um, hopefully somehow he can get some strength in his leg again and, and, and get back competing more regularly because cause if he does, I'd still never rule him out. Is that good mentally? Yeah, you can't, you can't. For him, him making the card of Masters after that, it's just, well, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It is, yeah. Incredible. He's playing on one leg, you know. And he did win a US Open on one leg, didn't he? So. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying he's used to it. <laughs> is this process notably different, or is it just that he can he can do stuff other people can't do? Uh, a bit of both. A bit of both. Uh, he had no real weakness when he was at the top. I mean, he, he drove the ball miles. His iron player, his, his, his control of his ball flight is second to none. He chipped it unbelievably. And he, he never, you know, I'll never forget to play with him at the Masters in 2006 ish, I think it was. I think it was when he, probably the same year when he chipped it on 16 to the top of the hill and it ran back and went in to beat DeMarco. I think it was that year. We played with him the first two days and he'd made a couple of bogeys and he had like a 20-footer on, say, the, the eighth or something for a par. Otherwise, it was three bogeys in a row. Anyway, he hauled it and I turned to Steve Williams and I says, you just knew we were going to hold that because Tiger was never makes three bogeys in a row. And Williams turned to me and said, you know what, Bill, I've worked for him for seven years now and when he's had a put on the last hole, either to get in a playoff or win the tournament, how many puts do you think he's missed in seven years? And I went, I don't know, two. The answer was none. Zero. That said it all about his putting. So he had no weakness. He was a, he, and then we got back in on the first tee. <clears throat> Bear in mind, you know, it's 17 years ago, so the technology wasn't where it is now. And it was 290 to reach the bunker, 3 or 5 to carry, I think. And it was into the breeze out of the right. He says, What we got, Bill? I said, Oh, it's just yeah, 290 to the bunker. You just one of your stinger two irons down there, short of the bunker. Oh, no, no. Give me the driver. I went, What? Huh? Thinking. Driver's just going straight, one bounce straight in the bunker. Like, well, we're still going up over this bunker. Like, you know, back in the day, I was working for Dad and Clark at the time, who probably flew it at that stage, 280, 285 maybe. 
and it was like three or five carry, and he just cruised it over it. I'm like, hmm, this is a different uh, different level. And then we got to the 11th, and he told me it's a wedge 140 and 9-9, 153 or something like that. So I said, oh, you got 142 uh, uphill into the wind out of the right, probably playing 150. He's gone, give me the wedge. I went, Tiger, I said, he's playing 150. And say, yeah, a wedge 140. No, no, I'm all right. I'm fine, no worries. Hit this wedge to a foot. I went, how's that work out then? You know, you say, hit a wedge 140, you've got at least 150 odd there, like, and I was just, ah, I don't worry about it, but I've got another gear when I need it. I went, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> uh, it, was, uh, <laughs> it was a different level. Now, Beef told a story earlier on about a caddy that actually stormed off the course at Sun City. He wouldn't reveal the identity of the golfer in question. No, that'd be unfair on Thomas Bjorn. (laughs) (laughs) Superb. Have you ever left the course during a round, or do you know anyone other than that that incident who's uh, oh, who stormed off? Listen, it's happened probably a dozen times. It's happened where guys have walked off the course. Uh, probably uh, Robert Allenby, <laughs> the, the beast, Allenby's. A couple of guys have walked in on him. Uh, yeah, I mean, Martin Gray dropped the bag on Seve Ballesteros and started to walk in and got 300 yards with him and realised he'd left his wallet in the bag, so he had to walk back. <laughs> <laughs> So they got Amazing. a headlock by and finished the job. My thing, it's one of my bits. So, I mean, he, he did leave, but had to come back. So, yeah, it does happen. I mean, things get very charged up and emotional out there, and you're playing for big prize money. And, you know, you, you come, there's some big decisions to be made out there, and um, you don't always agree out there. So, it can get pretty feisty at times. Well, speaking of emotion, we thank you so much for your time. But I wanted to end by asking when you're on the green at the US Open with Fitz. Could you just talk us through what that was like for you? I mean, obviously, you, you've spent the whole week focused on on Fitz's game and being the right caddy for him. But for you, that must personally have been an incredible moment. Yeah, listen, I've had uh, I've been very fortunate. I've um, had some lovely moments. You know, Darren Clark winning the world match play, beating Tiger Woods over 36 holes. Lee Westwood getting to number one in the world. You know, winning the PGA Championship, etc. Um, you know, 15 tournaments for Clark, he, a dozen tournaments with Westwood, whatever, eight with Ballesteros and Golden Brand Jr., a few victories. There's been lots of highlights, but obviously never a major. 15 Ryder Cups, some wonderful memories. But if you haven't got that major, it's always feel like you're just missing something, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd never let your mind run ahead with the situation. But when Zalatos is put missed, it was like there was no excitement or, yes, get in there. It was just like not a monkey. It was like a gorilla jumped off my back and it was just a massive sigh of um, you know relief more than anything um relief but pride as well that you know it finally happened you know and um, Fitz were looking at me thinking what's up with him I just had my head in my hands like you know it was uh yeah pretty emotional moment for me yeah so well deserved mate oh thanks Beef well thank you so much for coming on Beef's Golf Club and will you come and caddy for us one day in the club itself maybe raise a bit of money caddy you can caddy for me no, it's all right. I'll pass up on that. But thanks for the offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bill, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much uh, for Cheers, lads. Pleasure. Thanks so much, mate. Mate, how insane was that, chatting to Billy? 
Oh, it was an absolute dream. Also, what a delightful potty mouth he's got. <laughs> I don't know how much of his potty mouth will get into the podcast, but it was a real treat. The most insane thing I've ever heard is he lied to Sevi. If your caddy knew you were going to try and make the green with a four iron and lied about the yardage to make use a five or whatever, the other way around, what would be your reaction? Well, you're telling me if I was in the lead and I've just hit it on the green and we walk up and the caddy goes, I told you the wrong yardage, I would probably hug him, to be honest. Would you? So you're a man 100% of the people. I'm on the green. We win We win the tournament. I don't care if he's given me wrong yardage for about 30 yards. I couldn't care less. Yeah. The fact that Sevi was fuming with him, I think it's just priceless. Well, fantastic to have Billy on as our guest. And we hope to have other guests coming on soon. But if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so on social media at Beef's Golf Club or send us an email to beef at crowdnetwork.co.uk. And if you would like another podcast to listen to before we return next week, may I suggest the George Groves Boxing Club? Very different club to this one, uh, where people get their faces stoved in, but a place where you can listen to former world champion George Groves and his good mate Deck discuss everything you've ever wanted to know about the world of boxing. Search for the George Groves Boxing Club wherever you get your podcasts. And what are we chatting about next week, Beef? Mate, obviously, to play golf, you need golf clubs. What? Oh, no wonder I've been so crap. Well, you've got them the wrong way around for a start. I think that probably helped you. I've been basing my golf swing on Ronnie O'Sullivan's snooker action. He's the head of the club. (laughs) Well, that could help some of your two-footers, John. I would be so much better over two-foot putts with a snooker cue than I am a golf club. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll have a big conversation about golf clubs. I mean... When I start thinking about golf clubs, my head just starts spinning. It's endless. And um, there's so many legendary golf clubs and so many shockers to talk about. Well, look forward to discussing all things club with you golf next week. Uh, So until then, folks, bye-bye. Take care, guys. See you next week. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.